brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Stop worrying about stupid procedures and do pull-ups. This sport ain't about making stuff look pretty. Why are we having this podcast and why is it called the Five Point Move? I'm frustrated with the way our Greco guys from the United States are treated because they are good athletes, they are good human beings that want to win. we got to help them get there. What I want people to know me from, all of our results for everything comes from Five Point Move. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Five Point Move podcast. I'm Tim Hans, founder and senior editor of FivePointMove.com. And this is the first podcast episode of the Greco-Roman season 2022. Been a long layoff, various reasons responsible for that. Maybe we'll get into that another time. But we're hitting it right from jump with an athlete who has made big news over the past couple months, specifically February in Bulgaria, and then certainly way before that. That's Tanner Farmer, heavyweight from the Illinois Regional Training Center. Pretty sure most people are familiar with Tanner's story. Excellent high school wrestler from Illinois, also an excellent football player, so much so that he played for the University of Nebraska, which is an NFL-type of trajectory. Lineman, huge guy, strong guy. Football career ended, went back to wrestling, Concordia University, one season, okay? Goes and makes that national title match, NAIA, and threw himself into Greco full steam shortly thereafter. Fourth place, first ever tournament, Senior Nationals 2020. Won the last chance qualifier, wrestled in the Olympic trials, placed third at the 2021 World Team Trials. And then in Bulgaria, he was mauling people. He was mauling people in Croatia a little bit, but Bulgaria is where the noise got loud and showed off a crushing gut wrench, which you need in every weight category, right? But the upper weights especially, and heavyweight especially and Tanner's got a lot going on and, and he's got very interesting perspectives so let's go uh, Tanner last week was the NCAA Division I National Championships did you 
watch uh, young Mr. Colton Schultz, his run to the finals. Uh, yeah, I watched him. I didn't see all of his matches, but I definitely saw his semi and final matches. Um, I thought, uh, you know, he wrestled impressively. Um, I think it's amazing uh, how he's shown that with a predominantly Greco skill set, how you can advance and be an elite level. And, you know, the way it looks like to me, he's going to be the champion next year. Um, and, you know, he's putting in the situations like in that semifinal match where he, the guy shot in, picked him up and put him to his back and he just stuck with it. He, he trusted his instincts and he trusted himself physically and, you know, uh, rolled through and got that takedown. And I thought that was extremely impressive. I'm very proud of what he did. And I think he's a great ambassador for our sport. He's a fantastic ambassador for the sport because he's, um, he's just him and his family. They're just wonderful people, but it's really kind of something else. It was funny in a way because Colton's front headlock in that semifinal OT is the exact way a lot of heavyweights get taken down if they have a front headlock from their feet. They extend, leaves a wide open lane to the body. And the guy, I think, who was it? Wood, I believe his name was. He goes and gets a, uh, you know, whatever. I think like a, a high single and he lifts Colton up. And he wasn't going to take a body attack there because it's probably not in his skill set so much. But yeah. Yeah. I look at, I, I'm not going to tell you who said this. A very excellent athlete said in January, right before, right before, January camp at the OTC. He said to me, he said, uh, you know, about Colton. He's like, well, you know, cause Colton was going to, uh, travel to Croatia and all that. And he was saying, you know, why is Colton doing both? You know, he should choose one or the other. He should probably choose Greco because he's nobody's beating the heavyweight from Minnesota referring to Gable Stevenson. And I found that to be kind of funny because I was, I don't know enough, honestly. Like, I mean, I know, uh, I, of course I know how good Gail Stevenson is, but I don't know enough about the collegiate landscape to discern like who's, who are tough matchups for Colton or Taylor Lamont or anybody else from the Greco program. Like, I, I guess, like, I mean, I know who the big stars in college are, but I, I don't pay close attention to it. But I remember thinking like, really? Like, I, I couldn't, even in January, like, I couldn't imagine Gable Stevenson like wiping Colton around the mat like a squeegee like I, I I couldn't and then they got to the final and remember that day myself and a bunch of other Greco types were talking and I was just like look I don't know if Colton's gonna win but I mean even if he doesn't it's gonna be a, like a pretty close match I would think yeah no it's it's extremely hard to score on Colton take it from somebody that definitely knows personally how hard it is to score on Colton I've spent some time on the mat with him and uh, I, I think that people really greatly underappreciate how important Greco is in folk style and just how much it can help folk style. Um, I mean, I, I just train Greco for myself, but I train folk style all the time with uh, Luke Luffman, the IRTC heavyweight or the Illinois heavyweight. 
And, of course, we all know who Luke is. And, yeah, great young man. He's a good wrestler. I see a very bright future for him. He's got a lot of potential. But even though I don't train folk style, I have no problem hanging there with Luke in folk style. You know, it's, I don't develop shots, skills. I develop arm drags, arm throws, you know, all the time. And I don't have a problem hanging with him. And to be honest with you, I don't think I'd have a problem hanging with any of the guys at you know the NCAA's, in my personal opinion. Um, now then again, that you know, proof would be in the pudding. I haven't actually wrestled many, very many of those guys, but I've wrestled Colton, and I know that he did very well. And like I said, the Greco transferred very well over. I think, especially at heavyweight, it is extremely important. But I think even at other weights, it would transfer over a lot more than people give it credit for. I mean, you look at people like Kamal Bay, who is just an athletic freak and he's an amazing Greco athlete. I think Kamal would be amazing in folk style too. I think if you, if you put him in the NCAAs, I guarantee you that young man would excel. Um, Tanner, not to cut you, I think it was 2017. I'm pretty sure it was. I remember during the 2017 NCAA tournament, I put out on Twitter that if Kamal Bay were in this tournament this year, he would all American on zero folk style practices. I put that and people, some people got sideways over it. Well, yeah, I'm sure I'm not surprised. Like I, I just, I, people can get sideways. I, I personally don't believe they just, they just, they just don't know better. Um, it's, I think Greco is a very important part for people to learn. And what would be just the total concept of wrestling? I think each style has its contributions um, to make somebody the best possible wrestler that they could be. And Greco is just as important as any style. And they just they transfer over to each other, and people they don't realize it. Uh, I know, like I said, I do wrestle folk style. I go into rooms and I wrestle folk style guys, and I make them very uncomfortable. And I don't wrestle them like other folk style guys do. They get very uncomfortable whenever I dig in an underhook and I put my hips in. And you know what? They take a shot and it usually goes really bad for them. And it's, I do have some folk style background, but my, like I said, my primary training is Greco. And so it, it, it would, it will transfer over. It just, you have to learn the skills that, our style has to teach you and then transfer it over and integrate it into either folk style or freestyle. And I think it would just make a lot of guys a lot better wrestlers if they, you know, cross trained, at least cross trained with Greco. I'm not saying that everybody needs to focus on Greco and just do Greco, but a lot of wrestlers would be a lot better if they did some Greco too. Three things I'm going to hit you with then. Number one, the biggest surprise about Colton and Stevenson was that Colton was the one who gave up the underhook uh, in the third period or whenever it was. But that was the only big surprise there. Number two is you can tell you're right. Well, you know how you could tell you're right, Tanner? Is because look at the level of hand fighting in college now. Back in, the, like, you know, when I was younger, you know, the guys in college were vicious tactical hand fighters. That's all disappeared. It's all disappeared. Now it's a bunch of scrambles on each other's legs and everything else. It's it's a complete mess comparatively to how it used to be. And number three, excuse me, I don't even mean this as a diss to freestyle or college folk style or anything like that. But an issue that I kind of encounter 
certainly mentally, is that at this stage of the game, the way that these disciplines kind of uh, mutually exist, is that Greco has, from a technical standpoint, more to offer a scholastic folk-style wrestler than scholastic folk-style has to offer a Greco wrestler. A Greco wrestler has to adapt, and well, at least in the United States, has to adapt to new positional concepts, uh, mind a different sense of center of gravity, and then there's parterre, and then there's everything. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of different moving parts, whereas all of our wrestlers in this country unanimously grew up wrestling folk style. That's how they, that's the first style they learned was folk style. Greco does not need anything from folk style in so far as when it comes to adaptation, where he is folk style can, would do very well, like you're saying to pick up, to re, to reintroduce themselves to hand fighting. Like my gosh, like it's just incredible. Like it, college wrestling used to be a brawl, and it's really kind of not anymore. And that's it's just weird. I completely agree. Um, I had to unlearn so many bad habits from folk style whenever I first got into Greco, and I've gotten taken advantage of off of those bad habits so many times in practices and even competitions. And I'm still unlearning bad habits from folk style um it is primarily centered around hand fighting and, and positioning where you know folk style you can get away with being in a bad position and hanging out there for a few seconds but in greco you hang out in a bad position for a few seconds you're going you're going for five son and it's uh it's unforgiving <laughs> and to be well well i was going to say earlier i'm not surprised that colton gave up that underhook i think he was baiting him personally hmm. whenever i watched it I saw him give up an underhook, and I'm like, I, I see Colton there, and he's. I thought he looked comfortable. I thought. He oh, I don't think he was in danger. No, yeah, but I think he was more of the okay, make a move, because he's good. He's good at capitalizing on your mistakes. Colton is amazing at that. If you make a mistake, he will capitalize. He goes, I feel comfortable in this position. This is where I live. There's people trying to get underhooks, trying to capitalize off underhooks, try to do something here. And I guarantee you, you know, if you make the slightest mistake, I can capitalize on it here. That's what I think he was in that position. That's what he was thinking. He goes, I'm comfortable here. Here's an opportunity for me to capitalize on one of his mistakes where he's not comfortable capitalizing on mistakes in space. That's not especially. Especially is being body to body, feeling your body. And he can better anticipate what you're going to do and how to take advantage of it in that situation. And just because he has so much experience with hand fighting. I mean, Colton's one of the best hand fighters out there. Um, I mean, he's in the past, he has routine, routinely kicked my butt in hand fighting. I mean, he's beat me the, I think he wrestled twice in tournaments and he's beat me both. I would say primarily based off of his superior hand fighting. And, um, and it, yeah, it transfers over very well. I was saying how I make a lot of folk style guys uncomfortable is because of my hand fighting. I've gotten a lot better at hand fighting, you know, over the past year and a half. And they guys get so uncomfortable whenever you hand fight them hard and you just understand those positions. And like, you can bring your hips in. I have no fear of bringing in my hips on a guy in folk style 
in certain positions because I know I'm in control. I know that I've hand fought to this position and now I can put pressure on him and he doesn't know what to do. Guys don't know what to do in that situation anymore. And they just panic to try to get out. I think it was last year. Colton got a guy disqualified because, you know, he would dig in a underhook and the guy would just run out of bounds. He was so uncomfortable. He didn't know how to hand fight. didn't know how to deal with it with Colton. And he ran him out and guy got, you know, stall called out of the match. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, I think, like, after being in this sport, because I was I was all folk style. You know, growing up, I was a two-time state champion. I did Greco for a summer in high school. Um, and I did well, and I did freestyle, and I, I did fairly well. But then, you know, I, I focused on football because I thought that was going to be the path for me. Found out I was wrong. But, you know, I, I thought folk style was the way. And <laughs> it's funny how I did this summer, this one summer of Greco and freestyle. And I went from barely qualifying for state my sophomore year and getting knocked in the, out in the first round to being a two-time state champion the next two years, um, not losing a single match. And I don't think I gave up an earned point. Like the, all the points were from like escapes. Like I let guys up, you know, after that. Um, and that was because of a summer of Greco and freestyle how much I progressed and, you know, underneath the same coach that I'm with now, Brian Medlin. And I feel like I've made huge progressions again um, in Greco, but <laughs> so many guys are hurting themselves, selling themselves short by not doing Greco and or freestyle in their off seasons. I know we went to the IKWF state this year to support them. The IRTC did. We wanted to go support the youth in our state and uh we're, we're talking to all these people and you know a lot of a lot of them are first years and all this kind of good stuff and they, they don't know anything about greco they know a little bit about freestyle some of them but a lot of them don't it's like well if you want to be in the sport and you really want to be successful that's what you need to do during the summers is both both greco and freestyle and it's yeah like i said greco is just it's an underappreciated discipline and anybody that thinks that it's useless and folk style, I believe, doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. And anybody, it's, you know, anybody that believes that they know everything about something, that's when you know they don't know anything. Um, and I'm not claiming to know everything, but I, I do believe that Greco, I know that Greco is an instrumental part in the development of folk style. I am living proof of it. Well, no, absolutely, and and you know what the the worst part is is that we have so many college athletes in this country at the NCAA Division One level. Forget about D two, D three, NAIA, and so forth. Just let's just hone in on NCAA D one. We have so many athletes who are just naturally much more suited for Greco. They just are. They were born that way, whatever the case is. They were born that way. And they're not going to give the style a second look when they graduate. Mm. You know, they're going to try to make a freestyle team and they'll wind up if if they're lucky in the top six or whatever and that'll be it. And it's a shame because we're not a we're not another country where in other countries they have a much more 
like a much more systemic athlete identification process where they were where they will look at a wrestler and let's say this guy's a freestyle guy and they'll be like nope we're moving you to greco you're just it just fits you better here we don't do that because we're we're too caught up in this scholastic folk style system we don't have this athlete identification process where we can kind of evaluate where someone's skills and tendencies are best suited. Instead, it's they're going to wrestle in college because that's the system. And then whatever they do after that is on them and have a good time. And that is one of the main things holding the U.S. back is is because of this system. It's not folk style per se. It's a big part of it. But it's more the system that we have. We don't – it's like I (sighs) – Whenever somebody bashes folk style and just says we need to get rid of folk style, well, it's like, well, that's my, that's actually not the answer. You know, the, the solution in my mind, and this might be some kind of wrestling utopia, but the solution in my mind is availability. Like to give you an example, I have a 10 year old daughter and a six year old son. And they've both, especially my daughter, have done a bunch of different things, you know, gymnastics, karate, swimming, whatever. But let's let's just stick with martial arts. If my daughter says, hey, I want to be a martial artist, well, that's easy because I can go ahead and get her introduced to kickboxing, Kyokushin karate, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, taekwondo, judo, whatever. We could find a place where she can go ahead and choose the discipline that she likes the most. But in wrestling, that's not how our system is set up. Okay, if you, you have a seven-year-old who wants to wrestle and – for some reason or another, they're quite familiar with Greco. They can't walk into their local rec program and say, yeah, I want to wrestle Greco. It's not available. You have one choice. That's it. Okay, so it's the answer to me is not to get rid of folk style. That would help. But it's more we don't have any other options. We're, our system isn't set up that way just yet. Maybe in a generation or two after I'm dust, it will be. But like – for now, this is what we've got. And the pain of that is some of these college athletes are such fantastic Greco guys, even when they come in just a flirt. Like you see it every year. You see almost every year. You see a, a college guy, D2, D3 guy who, you know, maybe he wrestled in Fargo a few years ago and hasn't touched Greco since. And he comes into the U.S. Open and a lot of times these guys, they don't know the rules. They don't know anything. But they compete very well. And every once in a while, they're beating a full-time guy, too. And they're doing it based on competitiveness, based on their level of fight, which is the one thing the college guys have in spades. They have excellent, excellent grinding competitiveness, which is really the most important facet to become successful in Greco-Roman. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. you got You got to be a grinder. you got to be a fighter to be in there. And the talk on your other point is, as far as introducing it at the youth level, um, yeah, I, I think you're completely right. Um, and I think we will reach that point. Like I know coach Medlin, he, I think is kind of moving in that direction, trying to make it more available. Uh, like how we went and supported, uh, the youth wrestlers at the Illinois state tournament. And we were just there, we just wanted to be our faces. We talked to people, you know, told them what we were about, what we did. And we have camps coming up and we're like, come to these camps. And we promoted our camps. And yes, we can't do, you can't just go into a rec center 
and learn Greco right now, but you can come to our camp and you can see what it's about and maybe compete to be on team Illinois to go to Fargo and, and stuff like that. And hopefully at some point we make it popular enough just on the fringes like that enough that you start having Greco and freestyle just clubs, you know, like, dur- dur- you know, during the normal folk style season, yeah, you have your folk style team, but now you have your Greco and freestyle club, you know, during the summer and uh, later spring and such. I'm hoping we can evolve to that point. I honestly think that Medlin is kind of creating the foundation for that. Uh, him, him, amongst other people for that in Illinois. And, um, you know, it's, it's actually funny. Now that I'm talking to you about this, I'm kind of realizing, I, at least I think that maybe that that's his goal is to kind of promote the, you know, both styles more and integrate the state more into our, uh, uh, disciplines. And uh, I think that's how we do it. We got we to gotta be there. The faces of the senior level need to go support these kids. I think it needs to be more yes. common that we yeah. go and we support yeah, them. Yeah, ambassadorship. <clears throat> yes, most certainly. And, you know, just, just by the fact of seeing my face, shaking my hand, you know, maybe it's only one out of ten kids, but it's one out of ten kids more than before that go, you know what, I want to go to this camp. I want to be around this guy that smiled to me and introduced himself to me and told me what he did. You know, I told him what I did. And he said he was proud of me. I want to be around that. And that's, that's, that's what's, that's how we started. Um, I know we're doing it here in Illinois and hopefully that spreads to other States. Um, but I'm telling you this, if it doesn't, uh, Illinois is going to be the biggest powerhouse in the entire country for Greco and freestyle here real soon. I mean, we are at Fargo. We already are powerhouse in Greco. I know. And I'm pretty sure in freestyle. Um, but if we continue going the path that, from what I see, no one's going to be able to compete with us here soon with how we're trying to put forth our disciplines uh, in a positive light and influence youth in a positive way and get them to be a part of our program and you know help them not only in Greco and freestyle but also folk style. Because like I said before, and you, you said it transfers over. Very well. Well, yeah, and Illinois just historically does a fantastic job. You know, Medlin and, uh, of course, when it was Medlin and Powell, and it, you could just go ahead and trace it back how many guys at the senior level we've put on world teams from Illinois. I mean, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is growing a very good network of developmental Greco-Roman athletes. Uh, Minnesota is, you know, they are a flagship, their tradition. You know, we have our three states. We need, we need a couple of others. We need maybe three or four more, I think, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Illinois. Yeah, I think freestyle, too. I, I only pay attention to Fargo Greco, but yeah, yeah, Illinois always, if they don't win freestyle, they got to be, yeah, I think they win, though. I, I don't know. Uh, Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. 
Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Uh, Tanner, uh, you had, let's see, September, and then you got to, uh, you know, you got to, you know, travel, you got to travel in the fall for the, uh, for the big tournament, the world championships. Yes, sir. I was a training partner for, uh, Colton. It was an amazing experience. You'll see that first time I was in Europe. Um, very special. Um, I was also a training partner for Tracy, and uh, you know, I, weren't I, you a training partner for the Iranian? Uh, so yeah, before his finals match, uh, him and his coach pulled me, and they're like, "Hey, warm up with our uh, with with him before his finals match." So I did. I warmed up with him. Tracy uh, had was it? Tracy had just won his bronze, or maybe he hadn't won his bronze yet. I, I forgot exactly. Either, either just won it or hadn't won it yet. And they pointed at me and they go, you'd be great to warm up with. And then it was, it was actually, uh, it was great to warm up with him. Um, cause we did some live goes and I realized I'm not as far, you know, you know, he was the one for him full tilt. I'm not as formal champion as I thought before. It's like, I'm, I can be right there. Um, if I put the right there and I have the right day, I am the world champion in my eyes. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a very special experience. Um, and it's, it's just motivated me even more. You know, not to be corny about it, but we're talking about, uh, Ali Akbar Hussein here, if I'm not mistaken, what did you feel from him that like just in these little exchanges that you're, you know, from which you're gaining confidence, like, Give me a sense of this. I know it's a warm up, so let's let's liken it to being in a boxing gym and sparring a round or two with, you know, heavyweight champ. Like, what did you feel? Like, feel. When I say feel, I don't mean feel. Like, oh, what did you feel? No, I mean like that in the Greco sense. Like, I'm talking feel, bro. Like, I'm talking movement, hips, footwork, feel. Um. Well, I I would say the first thing that I felt is. He wasn't as strong as I thought he was going to be. Like, I've, I've wrestled Yasmani Acosta in practice quite a few times, and he's a strong, strong guy. And, I mean, there's times that I feel like I can outstrength him, and there's times I feel like he's outstrengthened me. Uh, just warming up, I didn't think uh, strength would have been a, a, a limiting factor for me. Now, as far as, you know, experience, how he moved, he did move very well. Uh, he had great footwork. Yeah, he does move very well. He moves very light on his feet. Yes, man. yes, and that's where 
you know, um, you know, it was just interesting to feel. And I feel like I can move light on my feet. I think I move light on my feet for the most part. Um, I'm still learning how to move light on my feet for Greco. That's the thing is like the bad habits, like I said, the transfer over from uh, folk style to Greco is, is different being a light on your feet in each style. Um, it's it's how you position your body and how you're moving is, is just completely different. So I'm having to kind of learn how to be light on my feet while being strong in this style. And, uh, yeah, he did a wonderful job. His super tight with his pummeling. He's a great hand fighter. Um, but like I said, I felt like I was right there and I wasn't too far off. Like, it's like, if I just tighten up this right here, if I just step a couple inches farther here on this, if I'm just a little bit quicker here, I'm not so heavy on this foot, you know, in, in these movements, I'm like, I got him, you know, I got him beat. I have the upper hand in these positions. And it's felt so easily within my grasp. Not then that, you know, it be something that's easily attained, but it's, I know I have the potential and I put in the work and I just grind my butt off the next months to a year. These points I'm just, you know, half behind, uh, just a little bit, you know, a little bit too slow, not tight enough. Those, those are going to be gone and I'm going to own those positions. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue actually, because it leads into, uh, we'll bypass, um, we're going to bypass OTC camp. I think I wrote enough about it. Uh, just we'll skip right to, we're going to go, don't get me wrong, Tanner Farmer. We're going to go and cover some of the training because that was the preeminent objective of the tour in the winter, in the winter. Like the winter was so long ago. Like it wasn't a week ago. Yeah. It didn't um, just end. Didn't just well, it's not ending here because it's going to be below freezing in the morning. But nevertheless, Croatia, Croatia represented your very first international overseas tournament, and the the narrative for Bulgaria was the improvement, particularly with your gut wrench. But it is quite something. Now, I want to. We're going to talk about. Boskert, who's actually a very good Turk. I'll touch on that in a second because it's going to illustrate the point about the gut wrench. But even against uh, Germany, which was, uh, I guess, Repercharge, right? Yeah. You know, th- that guy's pretty good, too. Uh, you know, uh, Germany has like two or three. I mean, they've got Jello Kramer, who's kind of their guy. But, you know, Franz Richter. He's a good athlete. Uh, we've seen him before a little bit. He's not a, he's not anonymous, but it, yeah, it's a, I get it's a loss, but that was actually, I thought, like a really, really good match. Like it was a good match for you because it unfolded in like the perfect way you would want someone who's new overseas to have that kind of match. Like, if you had drubbed him eight nothing, you know, whatever, and walked off the mat after a minute and a half, it would have been fine. That would have been great, and we would have celebrated the fact that you were going to go into a bronze match. But there was something about this where, you know, it called on you to kind of have to, first off, pick yourself up after a loss before that. That's number one. Number two is that, 
you had this one instance in that match where I thought it really kind of displayed your athleticism is he had you close to a step out from not, I think it was the first period and you like really, really adjusted hard and basically bodied him off for two points. And I was like, man, that kind of sequence for an American heavyweight in that kind of situation, especially against a German, because the Germans are notoriously snug. They don't really allow for a ton of uh, space or improv- improvisation. I thought it was huge. Now, I know you wound up losing six to five or five to four or whatever it was, but I thought that those two points in Croatia were the like the most encouraging two points I think I've seen you score yet just because of that scenario. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember it's – that match was a, a grinder for me. I remember how exhausted I was, and that was like a big telltale into like how bad my conditioning was leading into that. Um, but I remember, yeah, feeling very confident. I, I took it to him in the first period. I was up 4 nothing at the end of the fir- first period. Um, I was doing a good job of kind of baiting him and staying in control. Uh, and then, yeah, I opened that up and, and got that too. But then I started like after the first period, you know, I go to the corner, I get wiped down. And, uh, you know, they're just like you know, telling me, you know, stay calm just like that. Um, but you know, this is also where later on at the Bulgarian tournament, I kind of, I get too excited. I'm like, Ooh, I just score Don't even more. get me started about Romania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get really excited. I'm like, ooh, I can score more. Let me I, – I I want to tech everybody so badly. Like, I don't want to You have, know you can, you're allowed to win two to one, right? I, like, I, you're allowed to. I know, but I, I honestly – everybody talks crap about heavyweights and Greco, but how it's just one-to-one all the time and how boring it is. And, you know – even in like some of the other heavier weights, like 97, 97, it can be exciting, but a lot of times it's not that exciting. And then I get to watch Chiangelo. And I love Tracy. Tracy and I, now whenever we're uh, overseas together, we're... Yeah, I know. You two have become bosom buddies. That's what everybody's talking about. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, he's, he's my buddy. And Tracy's just a ridiculous athlete, right? And he's making these huge moves and he's doing all these things. I'm seeing it and it's like, well, why can't I do things? Why can't I take risks like this? Why can't I do big moves like this? Um, so I want to do things like that. I want to take risks. I want to put myself in position, but it's like there's time and place. There's things that I still need to learn. It's like, okay, you need to be more strict right here. Don't give up this underhook and this over-under. Uh, don't let the guy throw you. Either send it or get out of the freaking position. Don't sit there. Like earlier I was talking about how you know, bad habits and folk styles, I feel like I can sit in a position uh, for a little while and I'm not in a great position and I don't get punished for it. Well, in Greco, you're up 7 nothing, and you sit in an over and under for three seconds and next thing you know, you're getting body locked to your back and you get pinned. You get light drops. And it's because I sat there. And I knew there was a moment I felt it. I'm like, I need to send this. And I'm like, nope, you're up 7 nothing. Don't take the risk. You know what I mean? Like, it's I want to tech I want to take the risk and I want to tech the guy, but then there's also that 
you know, that little guy inside of you, that little voice, it's like, nope, you're up seven, nothing. You don't need to take this risk, which is, he's right. Yeah, you didn't need to be there. I did. I did. I just didn't need to be there at all. It's like, if I'm not going to take the risk, don't put myself in that position in the first place. But if I'm going to be in that position, I need to send it in my opinion. But yeah, hundred percent. I don't need to be in that position. I, I know that now. <laughs> Um, well, it's a balance, though, Tanner, because it's like, okay, uh, now obviously I'm saying this from strictly an observer standpoint, but like, Sammy Jones is the one who comes to mind. And, you know, you couldn't get more on the opposite side of the spectrum, I suppose. But Sammy Jones is, he cannot help it, but he's an extraordinarily exciting athlete. Like, he wants to throw any time he even gets partially his fingers locked he wants to throw okay and you know i like sammy an awful lot i downright love him and i remember saying him to one time like hey sammy it's quite all right if you just hang on a wrist and daydream for 20 seconds like everybody else does like you don't have to go for something every single second of every period okay like there has to be, in my, especially for U.S. athletes uh, going against international guys, there there has to be a, I don't want to say um, hesitance, but patience. You know, like I, I would heavyweight. You know, heavyweights do get a bad rap. Um, they get a bad rap, but that's not your problem. Like you know what? It's also the rules. You know, the rules lend themselves to tactical nonsense, okay, and the way passivities are doled out. And it's like, you know what, I'd rather get the second passive. That way, you know, if it's one nothing, now I'm 1-1, and all I have to do is basically not completely mail it in, and I have a good shot of winning here. That's the rule set. Okay? Until they change that, you're not gonna, we're not gonna change these tactics. It's just not gonna happen. No, I, I agree. I'm not going to change the general sports tactics, but I personally believe in myself enough that if I learn the right tools and if I learn the sport better, that I could, uh, I don't have to wrestle like that. I don't have to play the one, one battle. Now there's going to be matches that I may win one, one or two, one or three, one, you know, there's not going to be high scoring, but, I personally want to go out there and I want to change the image for heavy. I want to tech every guy that I can. Um, and, but I need to learn how to do it smart. And it's like not force the tech, um, too much, you know, where I put myself in bad positions where I can get scored on. Um, it's, I don't know. I personally, I just don't like the one, one battle. I, I despise it. I don't. I mean, heavyweights do got to start scoring more. If only for one reason, that in every combat sport, it's the heavyweights who command the attention, okay? Except wrestling. Except wrestling. And it's kind of a dichotomy, but that's the way it works out. Most certainly, yeah. I mean, who's the most, you know, recognizable boxer of all time? Muhammad Ali. Because he was, you know, he was a heavyweight. Um, and, I mean, it's, and, he changed how people did it, right? He changed the footwork that he had, how he moved in and out. 
Um, and I'm not trying to compare myself to Muhammad Ali. I'm definitely not a Muhammad Ali. <laughs> no, nobody's taken it that way. <laughs> um, but I would, I would really love to change heavyweight um, if I could. I, I mean, I plan on being a world champion. I plan on, on being an Olympic champion. I plan on owning uh, this spot for the next decade. And, but I don't want to do it by plotting. Oh, what a good word. That's like such a five-point move word, plotting. And nice. Thank you. And so I don't want to do it that way. I uh, I want to score points. I want people to look at Greco heavyweight matches and go, oh, this, like, I, this is the one I've been waiting for. I'm excited. I, I want to see this. I want to see if so-and-so texts a guy today or someone gets thrown. Like I'm, But believe me, let me tell you this. I'm not a big back arch guy. I'm not going to just throw the heck out of a lot of people. But I want to put pressure on guys, and I want to force them to make mistakes. It's either you're going to make a mistake and give up two or four, or I'm, you know, right now it's, or I'm going to make a mistake and make two or four. I want to get to the point. It's like, you're just, it's just you that's going to make this mistake because, you know, I have a better understanding of how the body works and I put my body in a better position as far as physically to be able to do that for six minutes straight instead of just a period or like with the Richter, I felt like I was able to really dominate that for that first period. And then I gassed out. Well, if I can put pressure on somebody for that, like that for six minutes, even if I'm not the better wrestler, if I put pressure on somebody like that for that long, they're going to make a mistake and I'll start scoring more points off of that. And, you know, maybe I go into the second period and I'm down two points, but if I can keep that pressure on, you never know what can happen in that last two minutes, the last three minutes. And, um, that's how I want to wrestle. I don't. I don't want to sit there and conserve as much energy as possible. Um, I'm gonna that the guy that I wrestle. It's either I to you, or that was the worst six minutes of your life. You had a couple of great wins uh, in Bulgaria, and it was not uh, the fact that you wrestled for bronze in Bulgaria or anything like that. If I could think of the what I, you know, in all humility, what I think the biggest thing was. Uh, and I'm sure that there were different adjustments on the feet. Um, I, I definitely seemed like in Bulgaria, you still had that thing inside of you where you could, if you on any moment's notice, just completely bull rush somebody into the bleachers. But the big thing was obviously the gut wrench. Um, I had talked to uh, Matt Lindland while he was over there uh, during the Bulgaria trip. I talked to him while you guys were at, you know, at the tournament and breaks and stuff like that. Uh, thanks to, uh, WhatsApp. But nevertheless, anyway, the gut wrench was huge. And the reason why it was huge is that's, I said before that I would go back to boss Kurt. And it's like, well, you know, you have a gut wrench there and you just basically some way or another, it comes loose, you slide off, it leads to disaster. Yep. And you fast forward to Bulgaria, where forget about the fact that you completely crunched and torqued India. It's Alan Alexa Churariu from Romania that who opened my eyes. It's one thing. This, I mean, no disrespect to. Let me look. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna look. Whatever India's name was, but Romania. Look at you 
Tanner, on and off the record, all I hear from you is how new you are, and you don't know this, and you're learning, and you're learning, and you're learning. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and guess you had an idea who Romania was, because Colton had wrestled him in Croatia, and you probably heard that he was, like, you know, really good and whatever. But, like, he's not just really good. I mean, somebody who's, like, a constant guy who, if I'm going to do a world's preview, I'm always going to mention him, like, oh, you know, he can meddle here. And it's like, you got on top of him. And yeah, there was one gut, one rotation there where you had to like second effort it a little bit. But like, other than that, it was no problem for you. Okay. I'm glad it looked like it was no problem. It was, uh, it, it, I can tell you it was harder than it looked. He's a large human, yeah. Tanner. I mean, so like, let's put things in perspective a little bit. Yeah. My point is, is that Linlin talked to me, you know, rather in depth about like certain, certain adjustments and, certain stuff you were rather receptive to during camp in between and stuff like that. And I'm not asking you to, in any way, shape or form to give away any kind of like technical details that might give opposition uh, some kind of inside track on defending your gut, but your gut was lethal in Bulgaria where he is in Croatia. And I mean this with all due respect, Tanner, but in that first match, you, that gut wrench fell apart in Croatia to where I was like, he, I know he knows how to do a gut wrench. I don't know why it looks like he doesn't. Okay. So it's quite the contrast. Um, how much of a focus was your gut in between those tournaments? Um, it was, it was a huge focus, but honestly, probably not as much as uh, my standing up focus. For me personally, but we did a lot of training in that Croatian camp in Porich on the gut wrench and so much parterre work. And I realized that a gut, the gut that I use here in America that usually works very well, did not work on those Europeans at all in this camp. <laughs> did not turn them once with the gut that I, you've seen me use at all the American tournaments. And it's like, it's just, I'm bamboozled. And I couldn't, I was like, why is this not working? And the fact of the matter is, is my gut, my traditional gut is, it's not as much like a leverage gut to where it's like, you have no choice but to go over. It's, I'm going to squeeze you so hard and I'm going to put so much pressure. It's like, you're going to break. Yeah. And you're going to pull them over. Exactly. It's like, are you willing to put up with the pain that I'm going to put you through? And, and later in a match, like with the Bozart fella, if you're sweaty, I can't put you in a lot of pain because I just slip off. Um, or, you know, or, or you can be able to spin it. Well, these European guys don't give a crap about that pain. And uh, they just defend it. And so, but these guys were all doing different kinds of guts. They were doing high guts and low guts on me. And I realized that they weren't trying to hurt me because my ribs weren't really that beat up. After uh, that tournament, they were playing the mind games. They're trying to find out where my angles are, where, you know, was my leg too straight? Um, was I not driving? Was I not moving up? You know, how was I moving on bottom to try to figure out these angles to force me to get into these angles to where it was relatively, I say easy, even though it's not easy, but it's relatively easy to turn me. And I'm getting turned like an SOB and, you know, this porch camp. And it's these guys, then it was primarily off of a low gut of which I have before this camp had zero experience with. And, uh, it's, I just started playing around with high guts, low guts, 
you know, different kinds of mid guts in between. And just every go, I would try a different gut variation, you know, on the body. And I would tell you, it wasn't until the end of the camp that I got my first turn. And the entire camp didn't like, I wasn't turning anybody and I was getting turned relentlessly by these guys at the beginning, at least towards the end, not as much because I learned how I needed to move a little bit better. And, uh, it was electric who I actually turned for the first time in that camp. And, uh, it was, it was interesting. And then like, okay, I, I it's like, that was the first, because I tried all these variations. I tried jumping back and forth. I tried like trying to feel what they're obviously trying to feel on me because I was like, I don't know. I know. In theory obviously if they're, they're cheating one side, you mean? Pardon? To see if they're cheating one side. Yeah. Everybody's going to cheat one side. I mean, if you watch film on me and go ahead, if you watch film, I'll tell you where, which way do I usually go to the left? It's usually the direction I go. And I, I'm telling you, because if you watch more than freaking two matches with me of me, you're going to figure that out. It's not really freaking hard to figure it out. <laughs> All right. uh, so I have no problem saying that, you know, I'm not giving away any top secret special uh, top secret thing here. Um, but they don't worry about a direction. They worry about forcing angles or finding the angles. And so I understood it's like, I need to, and, and jumping back and forth to your side, just moving your body back and forth lets you feel like, yeah, where are they cheating? What kind of angles are they giving me? And uh, it took me a while to figure out, and I still haven't completely figured it out. It's, I'm, by no means is my gut a masterpiece, um, but I hope to get it there. I plan on getting it there very soon because I plan on being the guy that I can gut anybody out. I want to get to that point. And it's just, that's what I learned is how to find these angles. And it's, I mean, there's other guts I was working on, too, that you haven't even seen. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So, uh, well, the the one that made its appearance in Bulgaria was a dominant one, so dominant in fact that in your bronze match against Barai, they didn't even give you a chance to get on top, no. which I found to be extraordinarily frustrating. Like it was, see, and that's exact. Tanner, look it. I'm not trying to create like some kind of like uh conspiracy theory or something like that but see this is why the rules are ridiculous because it's like it's one-to-one you had gotten um a push out push yeah step out 
And it's like, okay, so what happens now? So Romania comes out in the second period, you know, all like energetic and with all this fake output, like just yeah, kind of chucking his even, legs, chucking his legs. Yeah. He was, I don't even think, I, I'd have to watch it again, but I don't think he was like controlling the center to the degree that would warrant. No. Yes. No. And, and, and then, so I'm waiting. The entire time, that first minute of the second period, I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, well, farmer should get his uh, farmer should get his passive any any second now, any second now. And it's like, what? Like, like, oh my gosh, it's it's such a disgrace. I mean, look, it ultimately it's in the athlete's hands, and I'll never do and I'll never do the dishonor of taking that away because. That's why you wrestle the matches. You do have a say in these things, and I get it. But my goodness, this is why the rules are ridiculous. Like, I have no problem with the the parterre at all. I think they should have unlimited parterre. But these passivities are nonsense because it's like you you either you either flip them or you don't. But like, we all know how it's going to work with the guy who's down on points, especially close. We all know how it's going to go. We all know it. It's the guy who's losing by a point or whatever. He's going to come out in the second period, like all hot and bothered. And, oh, yeah, look at like I'm going to work for the passive. He's not trying to score. He's not actively engaging in any kind of actionable ties. Nothing. All he's doing is trying to look really super busy and motivated just to get the call. And it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. And, yeah, it's I mean, at the end of the day. It's my fault that I I didn't respond well from my loss from Electric. I don't think. I mean, yeah, I had a good match after that in my repertoire. I did tech a guy, but you know, coming back, Lenny's a Lenny's a decent wrestler, great guy. Um, I don't I I didn't respond very well. Um, I didn't bring it to him like I should have. Um, I didn't wrestle. What do you mean when you didn't bring it to him like you should have? Do you mean in the second period? Well, I mean, mean overall, I mean, overall, um, it's, um, I I shouldn't even given him the opportunity for me being put down in the first period. I I, I could have just went out there and dominated, but I was, I was afraid. It's like, well, what is, what if the same thing happens? You know, I get tired and you know, that little nagging thing in your head, it's like, don't make the same mistakes you made before, but it's like, you can't be afraid to put yourself out there at the same point. And I, think I just kind of let that little nagging voice get to me. And I was like, I'm afraid I know I can just, I was like, I'm, I've wrestled Lenny in practice. I'm pretty positive. I'm positive that I can just, uh, maul him. Maul, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just thought is I can control it. I can control the center. I thought I controlled the center very well, but you know, he got the point. It's like, okay, well, I'm conserving my energy. You know what I mean? That way I can go hard later on. I thought in the second period, like, even though he was active, I thought I was doing a good job of getting, trying to get good ties and actually controlling the situation. And then I got put down again. And then I was like, okay, well, now I had the energy to do something. And then I made a bonehead mistake and gave up four points. Not understand. Uh, but see, there you have to. Well, right. I, don't you think? I didn't understand the rules. That really, that's what it is. This is this is my lack of understanding of the rules. It's my fault. I didn't research things enough. See, I also thought that he was going to put. The, I thought the way the rules worked is he was going to get put down in the second period. 
I thought that as long <laughs> you as you mean, didn't... like it automatically went that way. Yeah, I thought that considering I had scored the point, and it's like as long as I didn't let him completely control the center, I would get the second passivity because I was the actual wrestler and he had already got his chance. I thought that's how the rules worked. I was wrong. I didn't know any better. Then whenever I was on the edge, I thought, you know, like I was, I was making all these moves and I get my back to the edge and I'm thinking, well, I've made a lot of action here. It's like, I need to go for a throw. And if I slip, I slip, they call it a slip and they just put us back up. And I didn't understand how slips worked. Apparently you can't land on your back for a slip. Right. Like for the lateral. And you can't be on the edge. Can't land out of bounds. Because they won't call it a slip in. Did not know those things. Well, and that's, that's yeah. nobody but well, the, the big disqualifier is landing on your back, but yeah. <clears throat> well, yes. And I didn't know those things. Like, I didn't know that. I just thought a slip was a slip. You know, if you slipped off, they called it a slip. Now I know better. Um... But it's my own fault that I didn't understand that rule better, those rules better. Um, and I could have taken the match out of the situation where those rules wouldn't even really come to play if I just would have dominated in the beginning, put him to the edge, which I could have done. You know, I, I believe I had the physical capability to put him to the edge, maybe even get the push out. Probably, you know, I can... If I have to push somebody out, especially at the beginning of a match, I can push somebody out. Yes, you can. But, I can vouch for that. But yeah. then it's the question of, okay, how much energy did you just expend there compared to how much he expended trying not to get pushed out? You know, is he really good at circling? Is he really good at getting back in? Did you just blow your entire load in the first 30 seconds trying to push this guy out? He's still pretty fresh. It's like you got to be more tactical than that. So – I just, I'm trying to balance my tactics on how to approach these matches, but also take advantage of the physical gifts that I have of being one of the strongest guys in the world in this sport. Very confident in that fact. Um, I have no doubt. Uh, it was um, a funny little thing. I'm training with uh, Electric and Portage, and uh, he's talking, he's telling me, he's like, oh, you're strong. He's like machine. And at one point, I hope as a joke, I'm pretty sure it was his joke. So he's like, so where do you get your steroids? Like, you know, like as a joke, like he's like, he's like, he's impressed. And I was like, I thought that was hilarious. I was like, dude, I don't take any, I, I take protein. That's it. I work my, I work my butt off and I take protein. And he's like, oh, sure, sure. You know, doesn't speak the best English, but you know, I, that actually gave me a lot of confidence in myself. It's like, yeah, I am a strong guy. But this guy from overseas thought that I took steroids with how strong I was in practice. And so I'm very confident in my strength and, you know, that ability that I have. Now it's just tightening everything down and understanding the mental game, understanding all these rules and, you know, exactly how they work, understanding how refs are going to call it, because even refs in America are going to call it different than refs in Europe. And, you know, well, the refs in America don't know how to call anything, so yeah. that just goes without say. Yeah, there's, there's, they just call it very differently. I would, I would like to say that. Uh, I don't want, go I don't want to be wrapped up. Yeah, no, I don't want it to come back to haunt you. Either. Yeah, I, I, yes, of course. I will say that they call it very differently, and not always, 
I would say in the beneficial part for uh, us Americans uh, overseas, if you know what I mean. Sometimes they make, oh, yeah, of course. Sometimes uh, they call it differently for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> that opinion is shared by like thousands of people. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have complete faith in myself. It's just a matter of time until everything clicks together. It's things are falling into place and. Um, yeah, I'm very, very excited, uh, you know, for this next week and then this next year and the years to come. Well, speaking of which, in fact, uh, this, you know, in terms of recency anyway, we're about a month or so, give or take, removed from you returning home from Europe and all that. And as you just mentioned, we are, as we're, doing this now uh less than a week away from the bill farrell memorial which in iowa which will select the pan-american championships team how has this experience this training block if you want to call it a training block how has this european trip kind of you know launched you towards this first uh, big domestic tournament of the year um, I think, well, it pointed out a lot of my shortcomings, um, that I wasn't even sure, you know, that I had those shortcomings, uh, in some instances. So I'm able to work on those and fix those. Um, and it also showed me that I'm right there. That, you know, um, I'm a step away. I'm a, a position away from beating guys that are European champions that, uh, you know, could be world champions. It's, uh, it was encouraging in so many ways and it was the best learning experience I've had yet in this sport. And, uh, I was lucky to be able to go on it. Um, very thankful that I was extended the invitation from coach Linland to go on this tour. And, uh, yeah, if, uh, things go the way that I think, uh, this next year, uh, things, uh, it's going to look really good. And it's going to all stem from this camp, from what I've learned. And then, you know, it's just I'm going to pile things up. Uh, I'm going to build upon it. That, that was a huge foundation builder. And, you know, this next tournament, um, do well. Just going kind to of keep on building the foundation. Because I haven't wrestled a tournament. I haven't wrestled a match since then. Um, and, yeah, it's only been a couple months. But it's like, you know, there's some things that – Maybe I'm better at some, some things. Maybe I'm not as good at as I was at that point because I haven't been able to work on it. I haven't been able to work with Europeans that are European champions and stuff like that since then. Uh, but overall, I've definitely improved, and I'm going to continue improving. Um, you know, if I win this tournament next week, I'm on the Pan Am team. Then I get to go to more camps, and I get to go to more tournaments, and so on and so on, and things just keep on stacking, and I'm going to get better and better, and I'm going to be a force for the world. that was Tanner Farmer. I told you he has some interesting perspectives and he's going to be a big guy to watch out for at the Bill Farrell Memorial. Now, if you're hearing this after the Bill Farrell Memorial, you'll probably know what I'm talking about, but nevertheless, uh, just a great guy to talk to because what I like about Tanner is that he thinks before he speaks so when you're having a conversation with him on or off the record, 
he's not the type who's thinking about what he's going to respond with while you're speaking. Like he listens, thinks for a second, and then comes back at you. And he's also a sick athlete. And the Greco-Roman program in the United States is lucky to have him. And so then we do have the Bill Farrell Memorial. So let's open this up for a second because I don't have Hall on here for this episode. Grunwald, in fact, will be on the next episode. So with his book, Not All Roads Lead to Gold. But the Bill Farrell Memorial, so... As of now, and this is a couple of days before the tournament, registration is closed, and there are... Well, we're just going to do this together. Normally, this would be in an article, but I'm not going to put out this article. I think Greco has 84 entrants, or registrants, or however you want to say that. We've gone over some of them, obviously, because last week there was the Minnesota Storm roster put out. And, yeah, you know, not the groundswell of participation there should be. Part of that is due to a lot of people already qualified for the world team trials and others are bypassing this tournament, focusing on the open. All right, so I can segment this and we'll just go through the weight classes real quick, at least for fun. You'll hear me tapping on the keyboards. Keyboard, not uh, plural. All right, let's go. 60 kilos. Okay, Cade Hornback, Illinois. He just registered. Uh, no, he registered last week. Okay, so usual suspects as far as the Army is concerned. That's reigning world team member Dalton Roberts. Ildar, the Olympian, two-time world team member. Well, Dalton's a two-time world team member. Camden Russell, all right. Nebraska, Fargo champ. Won the Austrian Open as well. A lot of people forget about that. Random Miranda, of course. He'll one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So it's a quarterfinal bracket at 60 kilograms. Max Black, Northern Michigan. Colorado before that, but Northern Michigan. He is someone to watch out for. Figured he'd be more of a 55er, but you know what? Speaking of, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go to 55 kilos. <laughs> Three guys, all from Army. Obviously, Max Nowry, Dalton Duffield, and Cole Smith. Nowry, reigning world team member. Two-time reigning world team member, you should say, I suppose. So, yeah, three entrants at 55 kilograms, at least as we're talking about this. I don't know if people could sneak in late or not. I have no idea about the rules on that anymore. 63. One, two, yeah, I think we got a full 12. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ay, ay, ay. 11. Mason Hartshorn. Coming in at 63 kilos. All right, so at 63, you're going to have 
reigning world team member Sam Jones. Sammy Jones, of course. Wild man Sam. The one and only Jesse Thielke. Thielke Death Cult. 2016 Olympian. Corbin Nurschel. Nebraska. Aiden Nutter. Austin Nutter's little brother. I guess he's going to want to shed that label sooner rather than later. Aiden Nutter. Okay, 63. King Sandoval. Third place at the World Team Trials. Really good age grouper before that. Mason Lewis. Sam Smith. Taylor Swanson. Logan James. Okay. Yeah, pretty good bracket, 63. I, we did an article on 63, how it's underrated. 67. Well, 67 is a money-making weight class, isn't it? How many do we got? Do we have a 10, full 10 here? I keep saying, like, 10 as if that's a magic number. The reason why I'm saying it is because the way this is segmented on the back end for the USA Wrestling Membership site for the registrations, they list them in tens. At least on a desktop computer, they do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, we know how this is going to shake out seating wise, don't we? Sancho, Olympian Sancho, he will be the first seed. Hayden Tuma's in the mix. Hayden Tuma, yeah, you got to give him the second seed, national champ. Well, twice a national champ, but a national champ last year. Calvin Germanaro, Jesse Williams, Lenny Merkin, Robert Perez, Logan Savvy, Justin Feldman, Justin Kopet, Max Sherrill, Fritz Sherrill's, uh, Fritz Sherrill's uh, brother. Okay. Yeah, 67 is a great weight class, even with a few guys missing. You know, Austin Nutter would be one of them. Benji Peak still injured if he were going to go 67. I mean, uh, I know he went 72, but I know he was also eyeballing 67 for when he comes back, if he's back by the open or after. 72. we got to get rid of seeding. That's going to be something we're going to talk about eventually. 72, 72, 72. Ugh, come on, guys. One, two, three, four, six guys at 72. That's a disappointment. Pat Smith, reigning world team member. There's your one seed. Nice and easy. Michael Hooker. Logan Hatch. Nice. Okay. Logan Hatch, Wisconsin. Well, now he's at the OTC, but... Dominic Damon, okay, junior world team member. He's here at 72. So, listen, and when I'm, we're talking about this, well, that's assuming everybody's at the weight class. That could somehow change. It almost always does, at least in a few cases every tournament. Orlando Ponce from Minnesota Storm. He is an interesting one. Older guy. Was a really good wrestler for Augsburg. Didn't really uh, rev up a Greco career, but he's apparently extraordinarily motivated from what I'm hearing. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six for 72 kilograms. My goodness. 
we got to up the participation level of these tournaments. It's like we don't have enough events. We haven't had a normal slate of events really since the 2018-19 season. And, I mean, what are we doing here? Okay, 77, as you might imagine, is completely packed. You know, I, I go and say that, you know, we have to get rid of seeding. And yet, like, as soon as I look at these things, it's like where my mind goes. Payne Jacobson is listed at 77. Okay. All right, 77. Well, we know Kamal Bay is back. Try saying that fast three times. So Kamal is back, and he hasn't had a competition since the December 2019 Nationals. Is he your one seed? I think he uh, won't be because Jesse Porter's here. There we go. So Jesse Porter will be your one seed, I would presume. I mean, who knows how these dopey seeding meetings go. Jesse Porter, your one seed. I would think Kamal, well, you could give it to Rayvon Perkins, yeah. Considering that Rayvon's a national team member. Either way, you can flip-flop Rayvon and Kamal, two and three, three and two. Uh, Alec Ortiz, national champ. He could actually get the three seed. If we're going to go by the book. Burke Paddock, Britton Holmes. Britton Holmes, one of the meanest wrestlers in the country. Duncan Nelson, Quentin Perez. He had a good... Uh, Showing last year. And then the best part is... Oh, Jack Irvian, Junior World Team member. Riley Briggs is up at 77. I like Riley better at 72, but if he feels he's a 77, that's fine. He's an excellent wrestler. But anyway, yeah, I'm getting off track because now I'm starting to get like kind of pumped up about all this. Jake Fisher, just hilarious, makes sure that he is the last guy to register in this weight category. Today is March 30. Jake Fisher registered at 3. No, today is March 30. So Jake Fisher registered at 10.28 a.m. on March 30. That's how you do it. That is just how you do it. Okay. I'm sorry if I'm all over the place. I didn't uh, game plan this part of the episode. So if I sound like a moron, then you know what everyday life with me is like. 82 kilos. 82. Okay, well, we got Big Ben. Once again, reigning world team member. Two-time Pan Am. Gold. And Ben will be your one. Spencer Woods will be your two. Ryan Epps will be your three, even though Ryan Epps made the World Team Trials final at 87. The fact that it was at 87, I would think, would make him the third seed. But, I mean, who knows? I don't know. I don't care, honestly, about any of this seeding stuff. But it's at least interesting fodder when we're trying to go through the names. Tyler Cunningham. Good. Solid. Cole Pence. Joseph Williams from Missouri, okay. Casey Recrocio, another NMUer. 87, I know that Vera is going to be there. Oh, my phone's blowing up. 
Okay. Rich Carlson at 87. So Veril B or one. Junior world team member Cody X is in the mix. Figure he'll be your three. Ryan Law. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, Christian Delaney. You gotta put Christian Delaney third. Third seed. Six guys at 87 kilograms. This is terrible. This is terrible. 87 kilograms, and I'm not saying it out of some bias because I wrote about it 100 times, but 87 kilograms since 2017 has been our deepest weight class, or at least was our deepest weight class in terms of distance. What I mean by distance is like the number one guy was not far and away, far, ugh, far and away better than the two guy. We had so many guys who had very good, very good credentials, all really tough, somewhat similar styles, obviously, but still 87 I have maintained is like the most intriguing weight class. Just so many excellent, tough, experienced athletes. And then we move to the beginning of this quad and we've got six guys entering a tournament. I don't do hot takes, so I'm not going to go and say it's disgraceful, but it's disappointing for sure. This is a bracket that should have minimum 12. All right, 97. 97 matters and it doesn't matter because Tracy, a.k.a. Jangela Hancock, is already gone to the Pan Am. So whoever the highest U.S. place winner here is, you know, maybe they, they get something. They get a... A gift certificate <laughs> or a gift card or something. I don't know. Uh, Nick Boykin, he'll be your one seed. Kimba. Kimba Johnson. Sweet. Okay, Kimba, I would presume, will be the two. Timothy Eubanks, Tyler Thurston, Guy Patron, Curtis Modlin, Christian Rouleau from Minnesota Storm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. Ten at ninety-seven. Six at eighty-seven. Tell me how that makes sense. Now we're gonna get to farmer's weight class, which is heavyweight. Colton's not gonna be there. Colin Schultz. The way that it was phrased to me is that this is like the only break he's got. And you know what? He deserves one. One, two, three, four, five, six again. Okay, well. We knew that Jacob Mitchell wasn't going to be there, but, you know, you'll take six for heavyweight, I guess. Tommy Helton, okay, Courtney Freeman. So Farmer's going to be the one seed. Keaton Fanning, last chance qualifier for the World Team Trials champ. Uh, they could quibble about where they put Fanning, Helton, and Freeman. I don't know. We just know that uh, Tanner will be your number one. Okay, anyway, so that's enough fun with uh, me stuttering and stumbling around the entries. I was hoping for better. I really, really was. I was hoping for a better turnout for a tournament like this one. It's a Pan Am selection tournament, meaning the highest U.S. place winner in each weight class, with the exception of 97, We'll make the Pan Am team. And then the following week, they will go to Pan Am camp and whatever else. But it's not the point. To be honest with you, this isn't fantastic. 
It's just not fantastic insofar as you hear from a lot of athletes how they need competition, they need matches, and so on. And we have a tournament in our own country, the first one since September at the senior level, and we've got 84 total entrants. I just, I don't get it. I should get it. I, I just, I, I really struggle with, especially 87 and 72, just having a handful of a handful of wrestlers raise their hands to enter this thing. And you know what? They're going to have a little bit of a leg up come the U.S. Open. Well, for those who don't make the Pan Am team and wrestle in the U.S. Open, let's put it that way. And the reason why I say that, and this is something everybody's talked about. When I say everybody, you know, that's a stretch. Everybody meaning like six of us, seven of us. But is last year the Olympic trials was the first tournament for most of the best wrestlers in our country. Most, not all, because some got to wrestle at the Coralville October 2020 Nationals, and some of those guys were U23. That meant they wrestled in the U23 Nationals in November. Some got to go overseas. Okay, right. You know, not a lot. Certainly none of the military. Well, none of the Army. Marines actually got over uh, to uh, France. But I digress. The point is, is that the Olympic Trials was the first major tournament for an awfully, awfully, an awful lot of athletes in quite a long time, and we saw the result of it. The Olympic Trials was not the most fantastically contested tournament in U.S. history, to put it to put it lightly. Okay, a lot of timing was off for guys. Sharpness wasn't quite there, and you're doing you're you're coming back in that kind of venue. You haven't had a match in a while. And yeah, you know, you could go ahead and say, well, they're full timers and a lot of them had experience and you know, they knew what to they knew what they were walking into with such a long time in between events and blah 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 blah, but you throw that out the window like the in the US these guys need competition. They need it. Now, preferably that's international competition, but still they need matches. And so what's going to happen is is that Guys who have or are coming to this thing, however well they do, well, now they at least have a few-week gap between Bill Farrell and the Nationals to kind of make some adjustments and to understand what it is they need to work on or whatever, minor tweaks here and there, but at least they've gotten something under their belts. They've done a weigh-in, okay? They've done their warm-up routine, their cool-down routine. That's a key word to all of it, really, is routine. And then USA Wrestling just officially put it out, if I'm not mistaken, but the World Team Trials Challenge Tournament, May 21-22 in Coralville, Iowa, the Extreme Arena. So you got the US Open, then a few weeks after that, you figure, is going to be the World Team Trials. And it's like... <laughs> I mean, you got a tune-up tournament right here. I know it's a selection tournament, and it is indeed part of our world team process because if you make the Pan Am roster coming out of Bill Farrell and you do compete in the Pan Am Championships, 
there's a pretty good chance if you're from the United States, you're going to get a medal. Well, if you get a medal, that's automatically going to give you the number one seat at the trials. And once again, I know I keep coming back to uh, how I'm not in love with seating and all that, but that matters to a lot of people. I don't know. I was just hoping for a better turnout for Bill Farrell. But you know what? What I'll settle for is if the 84 involved, you know, not to be corny about it, but like really bring it, you know, really, really bring it. We need a good one. We haven't had a tournament here since September. The World Team Trials in September was a good tournament as far as entertainment value and being encouraged and morale and stuff like that. We need a good one here. You know, especially since it's just completely strange that it is not in New York. Should be in New York. Should be. Bill Farrell Memorial... NYAC International Open, whatever you want to call it, should be in New York. And it's not. It's not. It could have been. Could have been. We put out an article about this uh, in February, I believe, or March 1 or March 2 or March 1, I think. It's not like there's been a million articles lately. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to dive all the way back into that uh where do we want to put jake fisher in the seeding arrangement you know what jake fisher does not like a good seed so for fun's sake if we're going to give jesse porter the one seed which he deserves and you can quibble between ray vaughn and kamal at two and three ortiz four then again, like I said before, Ortiz being a national champion, whatever. I don't know. I don't want to think about it because it's just going to break my brain. I say you see Jake Fisher sixth and move on. That's what I say. Coming up on the next episode will be Jim Grunewald, two-time Olympian, Wheaton College head coach, strength and condition coach as well former Northern Michigan University assistant coach. And he is the author of the new book, Not All Roads Lead to Gold. It's already, I hate to be uh, dopey about it, it's already receiving an awful lot of praise. A lot of people are buying it. Grunewald's piece on this uh, podcast will not just be all about the book. I mean, there's going to be stuff about the book. And we'll get his opinions on some other stuff as well. And I love Jim, and he's a tremendous man of faith. Somebody you can lean on for myriad reasons. Just um, special. Special, special. Anyhow, social media concerns. Tanner Farmer is very easy. Go on Instagram. Tanner Farmer. And when you go on his profile, underneath where like it could say your full name, he just has Tanner. Nice and simple. Dennis Hall. Dennis Hall, yeah. I didn't involve Dennis Hall for this episode. Wanted to just race this one out. And we all know the deal. We all know the drill. If you'd like to follow Dennis Hall on Twitter, you can do so for no apparent reason at Dennis Hall WGW. Instagram, World Gold Wrestling. And for USA Greco and Roman news and athlete perspectives, please go to fivepointmove.com. 
And as always, follow along on Twitter at 5, the number 5, PC Moves. That's it for episode 51, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.